Welcome, welcome back to another episode of NFT World. This is episode number 16. I'm back with Legendary after a one-week break. Legendary, you are back in your native land. How are you doing? Good morning from Vienna this time. Um, I'm doing good. I feel, definitely feel the jet lag. I got back yesterday in the morning. Did manage to get a solid 11 hours of sleep to catch up. And kind of, you know, start adjusting back to my native time zone. Um, bit tired, but generally feeling good. Very good. Um, you were just mentioning off air that there's a very interesting murder mystery that has occurred in your office. Do you want to have any speculation as to what actually happened with the death of a number of flies, I believe? Yes, I have a I have a very big basil plant in my office, and I thought it was like just you know parts of the flower um, that I'm seeing on the floor, but I realized it's a couple dozen dead fruit flies, like the very very small flies, and I have no idea where they're coming from. And when we talked off air, I saw one living one flying around, obviously a living one, and I tried to track it and see are there more where you're coming from, but it seemed to just be one lonely um, living invader. And I did I did find a spider as well. And there were like a couple flies in its net, but I have no idea where the others are coming from or where coming from and what killed them. I don't know. This is fantastic. You've been away for a while and you've come home thinking it would be home sweet home, but now you have this wonderful, mysterious murder to investigate. Absolutely. And I very much prefer to investigate, you know, the death of fruit flies in my office rather than finding cockroaches or something different in my in my apartment. Yeah, that's true. It's not the worst thing to come home and have dead in your flat, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like a dead cockroach would worry me a lot. The fruit flies are just there. They don't really do anything. Yeah. Okay. So that's it's not too bad, uh, not too bad at all, all things considered. Um, thinking about the NFT market, it's also not it's too like bad. It's like my fruit flies. I'm trying, to, <laughs> I'm trying to think of a link. Like the fruit flies, not too bad, all things considered. Is the NFT market not too bad, all things considered? I'd say it's been pretty bad <laughs> in general. So maybe the opposite of your murder mystery situation. However, there are still lots of things to discuss this week. Um, Some very anticipated things, some controversial things, and in general, just some interesting news. So what we're going to do today or discuss today is the ongoing discussion about royalties because uh, X2Y2, a very prominent marketplace, has given people the option to get rid of them. You don't need to pay them if you don't want to. Proof made a huge number of announcements who own the they are the people who own the moonbirds ip and have the proof collective a huge number of announcements in a meet in a a presentation which went on for like an hour and all sorts of new things that they've got planned so we're going to dig into some of the things i found most interested in there obviously we've got a bit of a scam alert going to go over some security stuff and then the highly anticipated utes nft mint on solana how, you actually do have some Solana mints, don't you, Legendary? I don't have any. So that'll be interesting to talk about our perspectives on that very popular mint coming up. Absolutely, yeah. So let's get into this creator stuff first because <laughs> every now and again, the NFT community and Web3 space seems to go nuts on the creator royalty question where everyone starts to lose their mind at anyone who tries to suggest that there might be cases where you shouldn't need to sell something that you own and give between five and 10% to the person who made it originally. And for a long period of time, there's no way for you to bypass that 
desire from the creator. So what what you do, and we know this now that we've set up an NFT, like you can you can write down in the marketplace, like LooksRare or OpenSea, you can put in that you want a seven point five percent or five or ten percent or whatever percentage fee you want off every NFT sale that happens on that platform. Then that platform, when it sells to someone else, when it's sold peer to peer, will keep that percentage and provide it to you. What has happened recently is that platforms like Pseudoswap have allowed people to bypass that altogether. And now more formal NFT marketplaces like X2Y2 announced that buyers on their platform could opt out of the creator royalty, which is usually set by the creator of the NFT. And it's obviously very controversial because people believe that Web3 is about empowering artists. So what what's your take on this situation? I mean, we discussed the creator royalty topic in one of our you know last podcasts. And I think we quoted Beeple's tweet, who was of the hmm. opinion that, you know, you as an artist want to build a community and do something that makes your collectors and community want to honor your creator royalties by themselves because you can't enforce it. And I very much agreed with the statement statement back then. Um, I like the concept of creator royalties, but yes, we can enforce them. And Pseudoswap, which we talked about, started this movement of bypassing the creator royalties, as you just mentioned. So it, it doesn't come as a surprise that one of the more formal marketplaces follows up with an option to be able to opt out of it. Um, an X2 tool is, in my opinion, a very interesting marketplace for working um, and have already introduced pretty cool features. So it makes sense for them to provide you with that option. But just as you were talking about and, you know, giving the intro on the topic, I was thinking, is there any way um, where, you know, an artist setting a creator royalty of 10% and also saying that there is already um, this, you know, token standard that would allow for creator royalties being collected um, all, you know, over all marketplaces that this, royalty is actually legally binding in some form so that you technically, yes, you can opt out of it with a private transaction, but you would legally still owe the creator royalty. Is there any way that this could be a legally binding agreement or be a legally binding agreement in the future? I don't think it is right now. I think I don't, well, I think it would be possible, but what you would need to do is make it clear when you sell something to someone that they say you have a 10% royalty. I think you'd need to make it clear. And look, I am a lawyer, but I don't actually know what I'm talking about here. Like this is kind of me trying to make sense of a novel situation. You might need to make it clear that you're only buying 90% of it. Because I think personally, when you buy something, you buy, you have a hundred percent ownership of something. So we need to start thinking about these things in terms of percentage, percentage ownership. When I buy something in a shop, I'm buying a hundred percent of it. I take it. If I choose to sell it to someone else, I keep a hundred percent of it. If you are laying claim to a proportion of any ongoing sales, that means in my opinion, or trying to make sense of it, it means in my opinion, you're not selling you you never sold that thing uh, to someone for 100 yeah. percent, i think because the, effectively what you're saying is no you can buy 90 percent of it i will forever retain 10 percent of this so anytime when you sell it on i will take 10 percent because that's that because that is what i own <laughs> like i literally own 10 percent whether it's a higher number or a lower number i own 10 percent of it um so if you wanted to do something like that, I think you'd need to be super clear that you are of what you are selling. And I don't think that's what is being done at the moment. When people sell an NFT to someone at the moment, they do not say, I mean, they might say, oh yeah, there's a 10% royalty, but they don't, I don't think they're making it clear that 
I don't think it's it, it's written in a way that it is compulsory. And the way to make it compulsory, I think, would be to say, well, I literally own 10%. You're only buying 90%. That's how you get legal certainty, I, in, I think. Yeah, so by buying this NFT, you buy 90% of this and that artwork, basically. Um, yeah, but the issue with that yeah, is Yeah, of it course sucks. it sucks. And it makes like, trading and swapping impossible. <laughs> so if I have an artwork and I wanted to trade that for a bored ape, um, then theoretically the artist would own 10% of the board ape or would have the right to get the, or if I just swap one artwork for another with you, then someone would have to figure out the value of the assets that we swapped. <laughs> and that would be like a 10% pending debt to the artist. So this is, I, I don't, I don't think yeah, this I mean, is something we should enforce legally now that we are, you know, discussing that more. <sighs> How do royalties work in the music industry? Because I feel like people are calling this royalties, but they're sort of not royalties. It's essentially, in essence, what is happening is that you are retaining 10% ownership of something. That's not what royalties are, I don't think. Like royalties are normally like, okay, if something gets consumed at X amount, you get ongoing yeah. royalties. Like it's like an ongoing payment, but that doesn't diminish the ownership of the person who's paid for the song. Like if you buy a song and you listen to it and or like, and the person gets paid a royalty, it's, it might come out of your fee that you use to pay the thing. Yeah. And if, but, if I would buy the IP to a song that is streamed millions and millions of times on Spotify, I would also be in the position to, if I own the IP, if I own the song, I also own, own yeah, I also own the royalties that are tied to it. And that's not really the case yes. here. So I agree with you that it's technically royalty, probably not the best way to call it. Yeah. And I think this is what, and again, I'm not, uh, I I did litigation and media litigation, which is not quite the same as being a a kind of full-on, media lawyer and dealing with these types of things but it just it seems like we're using the wrong word like in in essence what is happening is that people are trying to retain 10 percent ownership of something and then just calling it a royalty and that's not not what is happening in practice so it's difficult and i i think i, I don't know if anyone would buy something if it was advertised to them as well you only own 10 percent of this so they need to think of a way to make it appealing to collectors and as you said Beeple's point was that look you're going to have to find people who are willing to support artists and and want to pay you your your I don't know what to call it your your sales tax or your royalty because they just believe it is the right thing to do because it's not enforceable otherwise so and and if you find those people they are kind of helping you enforcing it in a way because i remember in the earlier days when you know um high value art sales in the nft space weren't that common and twitter wasn't that populated so you were like a twitter was populated but not the nft and crypto art segment of it so we are able you know to just scroll to all of the content basically that was um and there was a high value art sale that didn't respect creator fees, royalties, however we want to call them. And the whole community rallied around the artist and was like, hey, this artist is doing great stuff. And he started, you know, from zero, worked his way up. And he very much deserves to get his 10% um, and argued with that person for such a long time until they were like, okay, I'm giving up. Here's 10% of that sale and sent it to the artist. So if you have a community who is passionate about you as an artist is what I'm trying to say is they're going to rally around you and they're going to, mm. you know, find those cases that bypass the royalties and try to exert some kind of pressure to help you get that. So it's almost always better to have, you know, that creator royalty paid, being paid voluntarily than just have it enforced. Like the worst, Definitely. the worst outcome and also um, the- I could see is that, you know, marketplace like OpenSea, and I hope they don't listen to this, um, decides that they're going to flag items that had 
have a trade history of bypassing creator OTs just in the way they flag stolen assets. This would be the worst outcome of it. That'd be, that'd be horrific. Um, and there's also, there's also a point to be made at that not all on-chain assets are the same and therefore not all of them need to be treated in the same way. So the emotional response is always around the kind of uh, emerging artist or prominent artist who's working super hard in the space, producing one of ones and, you know, really making huge sacrifices for the art and working really hard. And those people, you know, on the odd occasion that their art gets traded, it would, it would be really, really useful to them for, to support their art and to support their practice to have a cut of that moving forward. And I think people broadly are pretty yeah. supportive of that storyline. However, there are projects which are on secondary volume doing thousands of ETH, you know, not necessarily communicating much with the community, not necessarily doing all the things that people might expect. And for those people, or then something transpires and it's like, oh, the founder is actually this serial scammer or, you know, they took all this money and now they've just disappeared. It's like, well, why keep paying those secondary fees? Like this seems to be the perfect opportunity for you as an individual to be like, no, I'm not going to pay you this this uh, fee, which is not enforceable by contract and is not implemented legally. I don't need to do this and I'm not going to just give 10% of my money or 5% into your pot for your entertainment. Like I want it because I don't trust you. I don't like you and uh, you don't, you you haven't done that. Yeah. And also not having that weird incentive that founders make money when their project dumps so that they're kind of incentivized to have a bit of fun that dumps the project. have a couple of, you know, positive rumors, news announcements that creates a pump again and I don't know, like still feeling weird about um, when Azuki dumped all the way down um, the amount of royalties that the founders, the team collected on the way down was obscene um, and it's not a good incentive to have in my opinion. So I definitely agree. Um, not all royalties or royalty fees or however you want to call them are equal in this space. So, okay, f- final question on this. Did you think, d- do you think the X2Y2 option to uh, opt out is good? Yes. Yeah, I think it's kind of I cool. think it's controversial, but it's good to have the option because... Yeah, for the reason, I know, like, like, for, for the reason we just for, said. For the like, reasons we just said, yeah. yeah. The project goes down, I want to opt out of it. I don't agree with what's being done and I don't want to, you know, financially reward the creator anymore um yeah because the things that happen they are scanning it and someone else wants to collect it and not everyone is familiar with using pseudoswap or other you know otc trading platforms and there should be a user-friendly safe option for people um to be able to opt out of creator royalties because if they want to do it they're gonna find a way and it's i think it's a controversial decision but i think it's good to have it in place because ultimately everyone has to decide for themselves if they want to use that indeed indeed okay so that's a lot of stuff on on that creator royalties discussion which i'm sure will come back again because it always does in some capacity one thing that will not be coming back in some capacity this is a good good little link is the disappearing eth that people got scammed out of with a popular scam that was going around last week um, what was happening was there were there were NFTs being listed for with really sorry there were NFTs with very very high offers of of ether offers so there was an other other deed which had a ninety six ETH offer on it but it was on sale for fifty so what people were doing or well, these bot accounts were doing is arranging for various Twitter accounts to create a narrative that, oh, there are these people who are, who don't really understand that they could just buy it offering huge amounts for these NFTs where it's much cheaper, making people think, well, if you just buy the NFT, 
you would instantaneously be able to sell it for higher. So there was an NFT with an offer of 96, it's on sale for 50. So you're thinking, well, if I just buy it for 50, I can instantly sell it to the bid, to the offerer, to the bidder for 96 and make a huge ETH profit. And the reason why this was too good to be true is that if you look at the Etherscan records, they did have the ETH to make the offer However, they revoked the approval for OpenSea to actually uh, use that ETH straight after. So essentially, it was like a fake bid and it was trying to incentivize people to buy. And as soon as you buy, the offer would disappear and you'd be stuck with a $120,000 asset (laughs) approximately, which you have to keep because you thought something was too that was true which was probably too good to be true so what's your what's your take on this really i mean the main thing i'm thinking is just like if something is too good to be true it just is i mean i'm a bit surprised that we didn't see this exact scam earlier I'm thinking about yeah, a particular. Think about it. It seems pretty. Good. It seems like pretty good. And I'm thinking about a particular time frame, and we discussed it on the podcast. And it was Franklin who messed up with his own ENS bid, which is basically the oh, same yeah. story. And someone did that and bought it, um, bought his mm. ENS and accepted his offer. So um, that's exactly the same story, with the only difference being it wasn't too good to be true because Franklin <laughs> made a mistake and someone was able to, you know, profit off it. And I was, yeah. and I didn't want to mention it on the podcast because I, you know, didn't want to give people the idea. But I was thinking back then, this would be a great way to play, quote unquote, great way to play into people's greed and create this as a scam. Um, mm. And apparently, it works with revoking the permission to OpenSea to use your um, your wrath, your wrapped ETH, um, because OpenSea only checks if the permission is active when an asset is transferred, it doesn't constantly check it. So this is why it appears as a legit offer on OpenSea. I'm surprised we didn't see it earlier and very much agree with the take that if something's too good to be true, you probably shouldn't touch it, especially in this space. Yeah, I do think... With the other, it's the perfect asset really to do it because there's so much speculation on it and someone could think, hey, there is a coda on it. I think it wasn't a coda land. Or someone could think maybe the person who put in the offer sees a very unique combination of resources. And when the offer was put in, maybe it wasn't listed for sale. Um, so you kind of, you know, it's still it's too good to be true, but you kind of could create that narrative why this offer makes sense because there's so much speculation around the other deeds but it's still not very likely that this is a realistic scenario. But it also happened in yeah. a similar way then again, but it was two platforms happened with LuxRare.eth where it was listed on OpenSea for like, was it 14 ETH and LuxRare had an, it was an offer for it for 40 ETH on LuxRare. Uh, but then again, this was an offer made by LuxRare themselves because they wanted to own their own ENS and someone bought it on OpenSea and sold it to them and did the arbitrage. Okay. So there's been a couple of legit cases where, you know, this worked. But as you say, if it's too good to be true and there's not really a strong reason why someone else didn't do it, um, don't assume you're the first one to discover an arbitrage opportunity because you're likely not the first <laughs> one to see it. And especially with that, yeah, because there were true. like people tweeting about it, like fake influencers who were like, you know, exactly the intro that you made, someone didn't realize it's possible to sell it, blah, blah, blah. And they had thousands of likes um, on their posts. So certainly at that point, this asset would have been sold and offer accepted if it were possible. Exactly. Like especially, and that's really, really the key point. It's like if these people with exceptionally high assets, because they're all posing with board Ape profile pictures, all of whom, or I assume all of whom would be able to find 50 ETH if they needed to. I know it's a high amount, but either they individually would be able to find it or if something's got hundreds or thousands of likes again i know it's a high amount but in this space 
if something gets a certain amount of engagement, it will come across someone's radar who has that amount of money ready to deploy for a quick 46 ETH profit. So let's be wise about it and not think that, um, not be the last person. Yeah, and as you said, if someone, an influencer with a board ape, fake board ape in that case, posted it, posted it, they probably could have, you know, head to Bent Dow, um, land their ape for 30, 40 ETH, whatever you get these days. Um, if landing is still possible right now, but I assume it is, um, yeah, it is. find another 10 ETH and do it themselves. And then engagement farm and be like, this is how I made 40 ETH in five minutes because I'm smarter than y'all. So like they could do the same amount of engagement farming if it were a real case There's and make money on top of it. Like there's no incentive for them not to do it that way. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, that obviously makes a lot of sense. So just got to be smart guys, got to be smart, got to think about these things properly and, uh, not, not fall for this stuff because it's a lot of money to, (laughs) to, to, to throw into a hole. Um, Thinking more about actual NFTs, Proof delivered multiple announcements and revealed their vision for a lot of their future, actually. So they did this last week and they did it on a kind of live presentation. It was quite impressive to watch that they put this presentation together. It was quite professional. Like on one level, it's just like, look, this is a group of people, all docs, giving a proper professional, treating their buyers with a bit of respect. Like, look, we're going to make a bit of an effort to lay out our vision for you. And to be honest, there were so many things announced that I'm not going to go into all of them. I'm just going to pick a few of the things that I like the most and uh, speak to you about them. So the first thing, which sounds pretty cool, is that they have a new product line sort of coming out, which is Proof Curated, which is a new product that will invite top artists and creators, the names you recognize and know, to create a limited release of their favorite emerging artists in partnership with Proof. So again, this is this is essentially them moving into the kind of curated gallery of the digital space, which I think is one of their strongest suits and it's, I mean, literally taken the name from Artblocks Created to say Proof Created. So what do you think about the name Proof Created and what they're trying to achieve with that? I mean, first of all, I think it's great that they have this presentation because um, they got a lot of criticism for not, you know, communicating transparently. Um, uh, from me. This is why they did it. We... You talked about it in the podcast. You mentioned it. You even sold your Moonbird um, as a result of being, yep. you know, fed up with the non-communication. And it seems like they, you know, took this feedback to heart and made this presentation, which is a very good thing. Um, and with the amount of collectors and art collectors that rallied around the community, I think it makes a lot of sense for them to work on something as proof um, curated about the name. I know there's Outlooks curated. Of course I do. I mean, their marketing power and branding power is strong enough. So I don't really see it as, you know, them trying to benefit off the Outlooks curated name. So I don't have an issue with it, to be honest. Yeah, I think I think it's just good because it gets it, it it positions itself very quickly in people's minds as to what it's going to be. It's like this is like Artblocks curated, but it's proof curated. <laughs> so we're doing a similar thing. I guess it won't be generative art necessarily, but it just gets it into people's head very quickly that yep, this is what we're leaning into. This is our next thing, and I do think it's one of their strong points, like the yeah. Grails release thing has been a really fun well done absolutely mechanic for the proof collective so this is definitely them going into what they're good at and thinking about the community they want to create and on top of that they're actually releasing another set of things via their genesis line which is where they'll bring established traditional artists and creators into nfts and this actually is one of the things that excites me the most because 
I just I really do love the idea of like big name traditional people who I might have seen in a you know in the best galleries in the world but I realistically could never afford any of their things to be like well I actually have a chance now like I could actually like even things like I don't I don't have Damien Hirst the currency because I, I missed out on it but the fact that these people are considering playing around with NFTs and like well I can buy one I can buy one like maybe not the one of ones but I'm you know in the running to get an edition of one of these top top tier artists who I've admired and kind of viewed from afar yeah I very much agree with that and Damien Hirst was top of my mind when you um just said what you said and I actually I mean you know I have a currency I'm just gonna use this opportunity to mention it once more um and I had listed it like mm-hmm. a couple of days ago I was like nah that doesn't feel right and I don't know, a couple of hours later, probably, or one day later, I don't remember exactly, I delisted it again, because I was was thinking exactly what you just said. Um, I can't really afford other Damien Hurst pieces, but I very much, you know, can hold on to my NFT by Damien Hurst. And um, if I ever wanted to sell it, it's still going to be a liquid market. It's way easier to sell than, you know, contacting um, Sotheby's about my Damon Hurst installation at home and be like, let's figure out an auction for this. So it's always reasonably easy to mm. um, get some ETH in return for, for that NFT. And I decided to keep it. Yeah, I think it's I think it's pretty cool that traditional artists will come in. I, I, I can see that this would be a really attractive opportunity for traditional artists because there's a proven community of people with lots of capital crypto capital who have a proven history and track record of enjoying and investing in quality art and i don't think anyone else has a better community of people who can be relied upon to be given the opportunity to buy something and not try to flip it 10 seconds later like look people will still sell like it's not that they won't do that but as a general kind of observation it's the best community for a traditional artist coming in being like a little bit skeptical like oh i don't know what if everyone tries to sell my artwork after it's like no in this group of people they'll probably they're more likely to appreciate it than yeah. others I very much agree, and this is what I said. I think they have the best community to do that and to not only you know be able to reach the artists, but also have the collectors in the background who might be, or who not only might be, who will be interested in this. Indeed. So moving on to one of the more hyped, anticipated drops in the NFT space for actually for longer than I can remember to be honest I don't remember a time something has achieved so much traction pre-launch the Utes NFT mint is I think coming out today it was supposed to be yesterday it got delayed this is a second project from the creators of the D gods this is on the Solana blockchain it's not on Ethereum However, it has somehow managed to get the attention of both the Solana NFT buyers as well as the ETH NFT buyers. So it's got this huge momentum joining two blockchain in uh, people together. What's your what's your thoughts on this? Um, I like it for. I I should be. I, I like it for a couple of reasons. Um, I don't own a D God. Maybe that's the starting point. I don't own one. I okay. own my OK Bear. But I remember on our Thirty Two Dreams Discord talking to some of the you know Solana people that we have. It was before I bought, bought my OK Bear, and someone said on our Discord, "Don't get the OK Bear. Get yourself a D God. That's the true top tier asset." I didn't listen. Um, really. <laughs> so the advice was there, you know, the alpha was there. But anyhow, um, they've been doing a great job with the youths, not only in terms of um, 
what they are planning to do with it. Like they are talking, you know, about this common sense approach to NFT intellectual property, but also the way that they created it, like college applications where you could apply for a whitelist spot and had to come up with an application. You would be excited. You would check back. You would be happy if you made the cut and um, share that on Twitter and you would be disappointed if you didn't make it. Um, this changes the perception, in my opinion, of whitelists completely because many projects are like, here's 500 free whitelist spots for this community, for that community. We give them out. They don't mean anything. Everyone can have a whitelist spot. Um, basically, we're giving this mm. away for free. And they kind of turn that into a valuable thing that you want to have and want to apply for. And also by that change the perception, because if you get a free whitelist spot, it doesn't really feel that valuable. Um, as opposed to if you have to work for it and apply it. And by work for it, I don't mean to participate in Discord engagement farming things, but to have an application, talk about it and see the talk, you know, and the interest surrounding it on Twitter. And this is pretty, pretty smart. And also in terms of what they're doing, um, because we talked about, you know, artists just before with proof, they, I don't know if you looked into this, into the youth uh, um, store that they want to create for artists. It's pretty cool because so basically what they're doing, um, they are creating this store. And as an artist, you can submit custom versions of certain traits. So I don't know, could be the crown that the youth wears that's newly done by Hakata or whatever. And the artists will own their IP of the work, create, uh, collect a certain percentage of the royalties. And you as a holder can purchase um, this community created, um, this, this community trade, this artist trade from the store. And you can apply this custom trade to your own youth, but you can only do that once per month. So, um, and also this custom trades cannot change mm. their size, name, appearance, whatever. Um, so you can't have a t-shirt that suddenly becomes a fur coat. A t-shirt is always going to be a t-shirt and it's not going to change the metadata. And that's pretty, um, pretty cool to, you know, explore that concept of individualizing your NFT more because I remember us on another podcast talking about, you know, it is your visual identity. And if you change your profile picture on WhatsApp, Facebook, Instagram, whatever, you're not going to have the same profile picture because you as a person change um, the things that you like change, etc. But your NFT remains kind of static. But if you just use it to change it yourself, it's not really the NFT anymore. And it doesn't feel, it kind of doesn't feel right if I start Photoshopping my OK Bear and make his jacket green or replace it with something else and formalizing this more and also only allowing you to do it once per month so that you can have to put a bit more thought into do I really want to change it is a very, in my opinion, novel and cool approach to do it. Hmm. It is novel and it is cool. So it's interesting to see. I, I'm always interested to see people trying to do something different. I wonder if this is similar in any way to the Hakatao uh king is it, kings it and queens king king and queen kings and queens when you had to like when you could hack different traits together and change your your avatar via hacking stuff together so it's kind of and even before that the ethlings was that similar concept where you maybe were able to hack different bits together it's kind of been an idea i guess that Ex has existed for a while i definitely don't think someone has implemented it i think well. this this approach so, is from a collector's standpoint better than the king and queen like with the king and queen you can you know as you said take each trade that you like and create your custom king and queen which is cool which is was a very novel concept but it kind of made the you know initial king or queen that you got a bit arbitrary in a way unless you got a trait that is super super rare but like here the traits are the same and if i have i know that if we go to you know if we go to to, to board ape thinking if i have a rare ape with a crown it's always going to be a rare ape wearing a crown um 
and it's just that someone else can work on that crown and make it look differently, but it's not going to change the overall rarity structure by allowing people to change their traits, fuse them. It's just changing the style of a trait. Um, and if there's like limited events to get it, and I know there's like only a custom time period where you can get a Hecatau t-shirt for your youth or whatever, that's going to be even, even more interesting to see how, um, probably some traits could be more valuable at a time because these are the only traits that had and I don't know, X copy sunglasses or whatever the traits, right? Indeed. So it's, yeah, it's definitely something novel about it for sure. And another, well, maybe novel in that lots of projects don't do it, but kind of following the ape model, what they're doing is, the mint is going to be yeah. purely in dust, from what I understand, which is their kind of protocol native, not protocol native, but their project native token. And I'm just looking at the 30-day, uh, say 14-day uh, price <laughs> activity on dust. So just for, as a reminder for people, one of the things projects are doing at the moment is saying that you have to mint you have to buy in yeah. our currency like ether's no good dollars are no good you got to buy in our currency so what happens is that the price of that currency goes up in anticipation of the buying moment so 30 days ago the price of dust was one dollar 37 on the 29th of august the price of dust was three dollars 72 or maybe 388 that's the highest point it got to and then in the last few days it's been about 350 and you know dropped under three dollars went just above again and is now at 270 Mm -hmm. the mint still hasn't happened yet but there's obviously this wild speculation on that you know people are going to need this i don't know how many people buying dust actually wanted dust for the mint or they just knew that other people would needed needed it therefore were buying it to sell to them what do you think of that about this strategy in general i think i understand if you know projects come up with their own token and especially that if they do that they need to create a need for that token but i think it's also and we've seen this with apecoin as well it is even like a project token is always going to be more volatile than the project NFT itself. If people see the use case for ApeCoin right now to buy deeds, they're going to buy ApeCoin. If they don't see it right now, they're going to dump it. Um, it's easier to make a person believe like in a project and keep the NFT than make them keep their um, associated ERC20 token, in my opinion. So I think it's, you know, it's mm. good that projects um, experiment with having their own ERC20 tokens. But I think that no one yet has really found a solution to incentivize people to hold it in the long run or build that ecosystem. Maybe apes are going to have that when they build it. Just staking the token to get more of the same token that doesn't do anything isn't a solution, in my opinion. Um, and I, I, I think we there's still more to come and more to see in the realm of ERC20 tokens that are associated with an NFT that will incentivize people to hold it in the long run or hold it as they hold their NFT as well. Yeah, I mean, I know what you mean, but at the same time, like, well, the the point is, as you say, there ne- you say there will be more. I would say there needs to be, be, be more, but I don't know if there will be more because... I've said this many times, it's very difficult to make money. Like if you think about what money is, how many decades and centuries it's taken for certain currencies to become valuable and to be valuable, to be seen as valuable, to be exchanged with trust across communities and countries. Like it takes a lot for people to agree that something is useful at the moment these things are launching like oh you're going to need it for this thing next week everyone buys oh you don't need it anymore okay everyone sells it's like this is not it's not sustainable money and the key point i'd want to make from a project's perspective 
and I believe I read on Twitter, I don't know if this is official, but I believe that they, they have said that they will not be selling their dust because the, the issue for a project is, and think about this from their, from a project's perspective, you've asked people to mint in dust to create value of, for dust. But now you're going to get all dust. You don't have money. You've got dust. Yeah. So what are you going to do? You're going to hold dust, but dust is going to dump as soon as you've, as soon as it's been bought. So the value of your raise is going to immediately uh, decrease unless you sell all of the dust like before everyone else sells it. So my understanding, what they've decided to do so far is that they're not going to be selling their dust. So then the question becomes, well, how are you going to guarantee a revenue and income stream slash how are you going to guarantee that raise? And I saw someone suggest on Twitter, and it kind of makes sense on, you know, thinking logically, is that, well, maybe there will be VCs involved down the line who are going to guarantee a certain amount of money to you to make you more certain that, like, okay, we don't need to sell our dust because, you know, we are going to have X amount of money guaranteed by whoever. So I think it's a pretty risky strategy to mint in a particular token and then have to convince your community that, no, by the way, we're not going to sell our tokens, so you don't need to sell your tokens. But then you don't have a reliable uh, income from that raise because it's going to immediately decrease in value. Yeah, I I agree. And and if you were depending on the token on dust, you know, for you as a project to make money, this would be terrible. Like imagine ApeCoin. Imagine that bored apes didn't make the money that they made before. And then they, you know, come up with ApeCoin and conduct the sale in ApeCoin. And the only way for them to actually make money is to dump ApeCoin would be terrible um, if they were to do that. So you don't want a project to kind of start off with their own ERC-20 token and the project team being dependent on dumping their own token on their community to make money. You don't want that kind of situation. And with EGOTS being the number one project on Solana, in my opinion, and also with a you know very good floor price of, where is it right now? 500-ish, 600-ish, let's see. Uh, 565 on Magic Eden. They don't need dust to run their project because they've been running the project without um, the youth sale um, for so much time. So it's it's a difficult yeah, spot I mean, still I, for a project to have in your C20 token. I, I think that's the point, though. It's like okay, you didn't, you don't need dust to be profitable. So why create dust? I just I I'm not convinced for any project if you if they have a the necessity and b the ability to drop and manage a token. Like those two things like if you're making money already arguably there's no need for it and b you're going to like, do you have the capability in an NFT project to manage an economy? Because that's what you're creating when you start to drop these tokens. So it's a very ambitious one. It's an interesting one. It's would be a fun one to experiment with, but uh, I'm not convinced many people have demonstrated the need or the ability to manage. Yeah. But the thing is what I'm thinking about if look, let's say let's, Let's take 32 Dreams as an example, our NFTs. And let's say, you know, we weren't working on airdrop season right now. With 32 Dreams, you have your NFT and you get, like, you get a monthly choice, for example, of say you can go to a restaurant that we partnered up with, you can go to uh, a movie, or you could get, I don't know, a T-shirt. And you have, you accumulate 100 dream dust per month and they aren't really tradable and with 100 dream dust you can either you know go to a movie go to a restaurant or save two months to get the t-shirt okay i know the t-shirt value doesn't really make sense right now but let's assume that's that's the case right um so and we don't make it tradable a tradable currency 
Um, but it would make sense for it to be kind of an ERC-20 because it fits with, you know, NFTs and token standards and utilizing blockchain and not only make it just credits that appear somewhere on a website because it's not really blockchain native. It feels like kind of centralized then. And at that point, if we don't create the token or the liquidity pool, someone in the community would probably do it because some, someone would be like, hey, I want to have three of those T-shirts or I want to go to the restaurant and get a T-shirt or whatever. So if you don't start the economy, the community will probably start trading your stuff if they see value in it. And maybe this is the smarter approach, right? Don't do the economy, create the perks and benefits for your token. And once people really are like, hey, I want to have more tokens than I can farm get with my NFT because there's so much thing to do with it. And they start, you know, trading it because they have a higher demand for it. That might make more sense. Yeah, I think the the difficulty is that creating demand for a token is unbelievably hard because it's like yes, the same as creating demand for a particular type of money like there's loads of currencies which are essentially viewed as useless and even I relying agree. like if you if you can't if you're unable to do that there will be no the community even if they do try to set up the liquidity pool it will go to zero and there will be no liquidity and we've seen examples of that where people have dropped things with the potential like cool potential, like if it worked out, there would be cool potential for particular tokens, but they're not like the the economy is not stimulated, is not taken care of. And so community attempts to like kind of inject capital into it have been very, very unprofitable and and failed. I would be interested to see a few examples of where that has worked out better. I just think it's a very risky play for like a sustainable NFT project, which arguably maybe none of them are, to be honest. I, I understand, you know, the temptation of having your own currency. But as you said, it's, you know, managing an NFT project by itself is challenging and difficult enough. Yes. The question really becomes, do you want to manage your own economy on top of it? Exactly. And I think... That is a good question to end on. We ourselves manage an NFT project and maybe we should go and do some of that this afternoon. Good to chat again, mate. Good to be on the same time zone and look forward to next week. Absolutely. So do I. Take care. Talk soon, mate. Bye-bye.